Hello, my friends, and welcome back to another episode of The Informed Catholic. My name is Ned Jabbar, and this is going to be episode 230 of The Informed Catholic. Episode 230. So, uh, before we begin, please subscribe and share to my podcast. It, it would be a great help. It would encourage uh, Anchor and Spotify and all the other podcast platforms to continue to distribute it. And the more people subscribe, uh, the more numbers, the more they're encouraged to distribute the podcast. And it will be an encouragement to me to continue making this podcast. So now that we got that out of the way, let's begin with our reading. I'm going to do the readings for um, December 24th for the morning mass readings. This is not Christmas Eve readings. This is for the morning mass readings. So uh, let's begin with the act of penance in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I confess to Almighty God and to you, my brothers and sisters, that I have greatly sinned. In my thoughts and in my words and what I have done and what I have failed to do, through my fault, through my fault, through my most grievous fault. Therefore I ask, Blessed Mary, ever-Virgin, and all the angels and saints, and you, my brothers and sisters, to pray for me to the Lord our God. May Almighty God have mercy on us, forgive us all our sins, and bring us to everlasting life. Amen. Kyrie eleison, Kyrie eleison, Kyrie eleison, Christe eleison, Christe eleison, Christe eleison, Kyrie eleison, Kyrie eleison, Kyrie eleison. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And now we will do the Advent prayer reading that we've been doing. Be comforted, be comforted, my people. Your salvation comes quickly. Why with grief are you consumed? For sorrow has stricken you. I will save you, fear not, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Redeemer. Drop dew, you heavens, from above, and let the clouds rain the just one. O God, who gladdens us by the annual expectation of our redemption, grant that we, who now receive with joy your only begotten Son as our Redeemer, may behold him without fear when he comes as our judge. Even the same Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. Okay, so we're practically near the end of our Advent. The entrance antiphon is from Galatians chapter 4, verse 4. This is from morning mass, remember. This is not Christmas Eve readings. Entrance antiphon. Galatians chapter 4, verse 4. Behold, when the fullness of time had come, God sent his Son into the world. Behold, when the fullness of time had come, God sent his Son into the world. Behold, when the fullness of time had come, God sent his Son into the world. The prayer. Come quickly, we pray, Lord Jesus, and do not delay. <clears throat> Let those who trust in your compassion may find solace and relief in your coming. Who live and reign with God the Father, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. So the first reading is from the second book of Samuel, chapter 7. And um, 
This is the title. The kingdom of David shall endure forever in the sight of the world. A reading from the second book of Samuel. When King David was settled in his palace and the Lord had given him rest from his enemies on every side, he said to Nathan the prophet, Here I am living in a, ho in a house of cedar while the ark of God dwells in a tent. Nathan answered the king, Go do whatever you have in mind, for the Lord is with you. But that night the Lord spoke to Nathan and said, Go tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, Should you build me a house to dwell in? It is I who took you from the pasture and from the care of the flock to be commander of my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you went, and I have destroyed all your enemies before you, and I will make you famous like the great ones of the earth. I will fix a place for my people Israel. I will plant them so that they may dwell in their place without further disturbance. Neither shall the wicked continue to afflict them as they did of old. Since the time I first appointed judges over my people Israel, I will give you rest from all your enemies. The Lord also the Lord reveals to you that he will establish a house for Joel, for you. And when your time comes and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your your own heir after you sprung from your loins, and I will make his kingdom firm. I will be a father to him, and he shall be a son to me. Your house and your kingdom shall endure forever before me. Your throne shall stand firm forever. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, so I'm not going to read it again because it's quite long, and I I do want to get to the part about, the, uh, about our uh, reading from uh, Jim Bishop's book, uh, the day Christ was born. But let's try to understand exactly what's going on here, what God is saying to us and what he was saying to King David. King David became king about the age of 30, almost pretty much like Christ beginning his mission. Um, he, uh, before him, was King Saul. And King Saul was picked by God and King Saul um, was supposed to be the man. I mean, technically, the people demanded a king. They wanted Samuel to. They wanted. They wanted Samuel to tell God to give us a king like other nations. And Samuel was trying to tell them, "You don't understand what you're saying. God is your king." And they said, "No, we want a king. We want to be like the other nations." And it grieved Samuel because, technically. This is, this is something that you have to look at, just like what happened in the day when our Lord was put on trial in front of Pilate, when the people said, we have no king but Caesar. It's the same parallel, the same, so like you can put the typology together. This is a picture of the people rejecting God and wanting an earthly king. And of course, there was a lot that God told Samuel to say to the people, you will have a king and he will he will rule over you. In other words, you reject, remember, they're not rejecting you. They're not just saying to Samuel, God is saying to Samuel, they're rejecting me. 
I've taken care of them. It showed you, it basically proved to us how spiritually disconnected we are as human beings because we are very materialistic. So they got Saul and Saul unfortunately wound up to be a tragedy. I mean, the story of Saul and King David is almost like something Shakespeare would have written. And Saul wound up becoming a politician. He wound up becoming a compromiser, a warning to those Catholic politicians out there, a warning to them. Saul was a complete tragedy. God removed his spirit from Saul because Saul compromised. He compromised and he took things in his own hand that were not for him to do. His problem was obedience. Saul's biggest failure was obedience. And that's exactly what happened. Then God sent um, God sent Samuel, I believe it was Samuel, to go pick out another man. And he went to the Bethlehem to Jesse. And Jesse had quite a few sons. And his youngest one was David, who was a, sh- a shepherd boy who uh, guarded his flock, a type picture of, of Christ, and wound up uh, choosing him. And of course, things got worse with Saul. Saul was demonically oppressed, demonically persecuted. Uh, he had a complete mental breakdown. When he pleaded with Samuel before, all, when all this finally reached the, com- the, the peak of his fall, he grabbed hold of Samuel's robe and ripped And that was a symbol of excommunication, the sort of God cutting him off. And from then on, Saul just was was couldn't sleep. He couldn't do anything. I mean, he was constantly being oppressed. He had his he had breakouts. People had to stay away from him. He would attack people physically. And later on, he he grew jealous of David and wanted to kill David. Uh, And even pressured Dave, uh, Dave, uh, his own daughter, Saul's own daughter, uh, Micaiah, or um, um, I believe, I can't remember her name, sorry, but she she was pressured to marry David so to keep David close by. It was a political manipulation. And then he wanted to kill David because the pe- people started to love David more than him. And David was loyal. David would not even kill Saul. He would not, many of those men, told him you had an opportunity many times to kill this man. David refused because Saul was his was was God's anointed. And he would leave it in God's hands. He would not have he would not have the blood of another man of uh, anointed man by God in on his hands. But David now is king and he wants to build a temple. But David's problem was is that he had too much blood in his hands as king. And then, of course, you know, you know the story about the the, the adultery with Bathsheba. And then, of course, his, his, the, his, one of his sons tried to overthrow him. Unfortunately, David, David did not exactly have the most peaceful reign as well. But his problem was that he, he, he basically... He allowed himself, he put himself in a, in a position of being tempted. But he is a type fig, figure of Christ and the Lord promises him here. Out of your descendants, I will eventually have a king and this one will be mine. 
He will rule and his kingdom will have no end. And that's exactly Jesus comes in. The prophecy. This is a picture of Jesus. Okay, so let's go to the next reading. The Psalms. This is from Psalm 89. Forever I, forever I will sing the goodness of the Lord. Forever I will sing the goodness of the Lord. Forever I will sing the goodness of the Lord. The favors of the Lord I will sing forever. Through all generations my mouth shall proclaim your faithfulness. For you have said my kindness is established forever. In heaven you have confirmed your faithfulness. Forever I will sing the goodness of the Lord. I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David my servant. Forever I will confirm your posterity and establish your throne for all generations. Forever I will sing the goodness of the Lord. He shall say of me, you are my father, my God, the rock, of, the rock, my savior. Forever I will maintain my kindness toward him and my covenant with him stands firm. Forever I will sing the goodness of the Lord. Okay, now I'll read it. I read the whole thing without without the response. The favors of the Lord I will sing forever. Through all generations my mouth shall proclaim his your, your faithfulness. For you have said my kindness is established forever. In heaven you have confirmed your faithfulness. I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David my servant. Forever I will confirm your posterity and establish your throne for all generations. Forever I will confirm your posterity and establish your throne for all generations. You shall say of me, you are my father, my God, the rock, my savior. Forever I will maintain my kindness toward him and my covenant with him stands for, stands for firm. As you can see the part here that he keeps his, uh, he made his promise to David. I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David, my, my servant. Forever I will confirm your posterity and establish your throne for all generations. This is fulfilled in our Lord Jesus Christ. And this part here is the part that we want to look at. He shall say of me, you are my father, my God, the rock, my savior. Forever I will maintain my kindness toward him and my covenant with him stands firm. So that's why when you see like in Matthew's gospel, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Because David, of course, has to be a descendant of Abraham, but the Messiah comes directly, and there were signs of it. You can go back to the book of Genesis, and you can see this where Judah was chosen. Judah. And that he, the scepter shall stay in his hand. And there was always these prophecies about Judah. And Judah was not exactly the a great person. I mean, he he plotted against his brother Joseph and sold him. And that was a picture of of Jesus. Joseph is a type picture of a Christ in many ways. And you know, and also what's interesting about the story of Joseph in the Old Testament, if you ever read it, you, you should read it, is that God never talked directly to Joseph. You never hear a direct like dialogue with with God like God himself you often see jo Joseph trusted God through signs and wonders in his dreams he had a very deep relationship with God you know very um very different from all his other brothers who took God for granted 
All right, so now we got that out of the way. Let's go to the gospel. And we know this one. This is from the Benedictus. This is Zechariah's prayer. So I'm going to read this and I'll do a sh we'll do a short meditation on it because I really want to read as much as possible from the book The Day Christ Was Born. Alleluia, alleluia. O radiant dawn, splendor of eternal light, sun of justice, come and shine on those who dwell in darkness in the shadow of death. Alleluia, alleluia. O radiant dawn, splendor of eternal light, sun of justice, come and shine on those who dwell in darkness in the, and in the shadow of death. Alleluia, alleluia. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to St. Luke. Glory to you, Lord. Luke chapter 1, verse 60, 67 to 79. A daybreak from on high has visited us. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to St. Luke. Zechariah, his father, filled with the Holy Spirit, prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, for he has come to his people and set them free. He has raised up for us a mighty Savior, born of the house of his servant David. Through, through his prophets he promised of old that he would save us from our enemies, from the hands of all who hate us. He promised to show mercy to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. This was the oath he swore to our father Abraham to set us free from the hands of our enemies, free to worship him without fear, holy and righteous in his sight all the days of our life. You, you, my child, shall be called the prophet of the Most High. You will be, go before the Lord and prepare his way and to give his people knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins. In the tender compassion of our God, the dawn from on high shall break upon us and shine on those who dwell in darkness and the shadow of death. Amen. The gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. So you see here in Zechariah, Zechariah is pointing to all the promises that God has made in the previous generation. He kept his promise. He kept his promise from of old. And he kept his promise to the very end. And that's exactly what Zechariah is saying, that God will keep his promise. God never breaks his promises. And he always fulfills them. And he did. He fulfilled them in Jesus Christ. Um, he mentions David. You notice uh, the Holy Spirit. Blessed be the Lord. He has come to his people and set them free. He has raised for us a mighty Savior and born of the house of his servant David. It's a messianic praise. God has kept his promise to Israel. Through David, and then go, you know, and then goes, and, and through the prophets, he promised of all that he would save us from our enemies, and he did. He promised to show mercy to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. He that he fulfilled. This oath he swore to our father Abraham. And then he goes on to say other things. I mean, it's just fantastic. What we have here is a God who keeps his promises. Okay, so. Let's go to the uh, book, The Day Christ Was Born by Jim Bishop. Okay, The Day Christ Was Born by Jim Bishop. Now, the wise men have reached the land of Israel and they made contact with the high priest. They weren't very happy. Uh, I'll go back just the part where the high priest was hoping there was no star. Uh, let's see. The high priest was vexed. He knew that the people of Judea 
has set great store on the stars, the potence of the stars. And he did not want the ridiculous assumption of the Gentiles to be common to become common knowledge. Suppose there was a baby in Bethlehem. If the Magi found him and adored him, the people would hear of it, and this might turn them away from the great temple of Jerusalem. He waited until the early watch and stood in the tower over the gold grapes on the east wall of the temple, squinting into the night sky. It appeared that there was no star, and the priest felt relieved. He was about to descend when a bright light appeared to hang between the jagged peaks of Moab. He studied it a moment. He waited, and then he expelled a long, disappointed sigh. It was a star, an unusually large star. The high priest reported to the palace of, the, of King Herod and relayed the news. The sovereign was insane. He was a dark, bearded, with, a dear, bearded man with wild, rolling eyes, and he had been dying of a rest, uh, of, of wasting away disease for a year. Herod listened to the news on such account and ordered the high priest to summon the Magi. He asked their interpretation of the meaning of the big star, and they told him that it should be a joy and a comfort of the king, so ill to who is so ill to know that in all prob probability God has sent a savior to take his place. Herod offered them some grapes and figs and asked many questions. He appeared to have an academic interest in the new king, if there was a new king, and he hoped that if the Persian philosophers found the baby, they would do him the courtesy of informing him so that, so that the king would offer his own tribute to the, to, the, to the new majesty. By the way, he said, if the star first appeared when the baby was born, we should be able to tell the age if the new king, by knowing how long the star had been in the sky, Malkiar shook his head. We saw the star recently, he said, but it was possible that it had been in the sky, perhaps on another path for many months. We should doubt this, but it was possible that it has been there for a while and we have not seen it. The three wise men exchanged gifts with Herod and left. At once the mad king called in the council of the nation, the high priests and the scribes, and he demanded that they interpret the symbolism of the new star and do something about it at once. He assured them that if, for example, the star was over Bethlehem and some unknown infant was there, the stupid people of the streets would spread the news all over Judea and would desert the temple and, worst of all, their lawful king in favor of a squalling peasant whimpering infant. Some of the high priests favored sending spies to follow the Magi, but Herod was opposed to this. No, he said, I've asked them as a courtesy to return to me with whatever news that they may have. I, I will deal with in this situation later in a more appropriate manner. At the moment, I expect you to show some gratitude to the person who rebuilt your temple. Uh, spread the news among the faithful that when the Messiah comes, 
that he will come fully grown, a fully grown man, on a cloud attended by legions of trumpet angels. And he will come directly to the earthly home of his father, Elijah. No one smiled. None of the high priests did. But some of the priests must have been extremely tempted. They were acquainted with Herod, Herod's record. He was the cruelest of all kings. And in their opinion, the most farthest man removed from God and his works. The people had not chosen him as their their king. 35 years before, a Roman emperor had appointed him Herod the Great. And for three years, the people of Israel were in constant rebellion. Now he had to contend with an unknown baby. After 35 years of sovereignty, Herod was dying slowly and in in extreme pain. And he could not even undergo that with serenity. A baby intruded intruded his mind. A new king had intruded his mind. Well, he would wait the return of the Magi and he would deal with this baby, this newborn king, in a manner Herod considered it to be most appropriate and direct. All right, so now we pick up where we left off. Just to let you know that since I don't have any permission to read this, I'm going to change a few words here and there. Um, So for licensing, just in case, (laughs) for licensing purpose, but I don't think I'm going to get into trouble, but uh, I was told just to do that. So I'm going to do it. All right. So this is where we're going to pick up now. On the eighth day, the infant was taken to the synagogue in Bethlehem for circumcision. Centuries before, God had commanded Abraham as part of a, of a covenant to circumcise all the male Jews shortly after birth. It pledged all sons of Judah Judea to observe to observance of the law. So Mary wrapped the baby warmly and handed him to Joseph. The man took him outside the cave and on and up the steep path to the inn. This was the baby's first sight of the world that he had come to save, and from his blanket all he saw was a bright blue sky and sunlight. Up there somewhere was the heaven from which he had come and to which he would return only after giving his mortal life in pain. Joseph passed the inn and went on to the crossroads of Bethlehem. There he saw the synagogue and after inquiries took the precious baby inside. He asked the rabbi if he would circumcise the the firstborn himself. The teacher nodded. Joseph said he had no experience with this and he would need some assistance. The rabbi smiled. He understood. It was common for new fathers to ask for assistance and it was also common for them to be frightened at the prospect. 
The teacher guided the hand of St. Joseph, and the first few drops of precious blood were shed. So too were the first tears, symbolically. The young lamb was on an altar. The Son of God was obedient to the law of the Father. The rabbi asked the name to be given to this new babe, and Joseph said, Yeshua, Joshua, Jesus. This was the name given to Mary, to Mary by the archangel Gabriel. It was also given to St. Joseph in a dream. The ancient prophet Isaiah had predicted that the name of the Son of God would be Emmanuel, which means God with us. He also said that the Messiah would be called the Prince of Peace, God, the Mighty, Wonderful, Counselor, and the Father of the world to come. The only name in which all of these meanings were embraced is Yeshua, Joshua, Jesus. The baby cried back to the tiny, the, the baby was carried back to the tiny stable with its loose board room. Jesus was now an infant Jew, a son of the family of David. He would be uncomfortable for several days, but he had suffered the first pain of the man-child, and Joseph patted the bottom of the blanket to soothe him. Now, the Magi waited until the star came up east of Jerusalem, and then, when it, when it again nearest the zenith in the night sky, they mounted their camels and followed it. Then the final few miles, they started on the north side of Jerusalem, where there was a bazaar for Gentiles, and passed the gate of Damascus, and went across the swift-flowing Kidron to a little place called Gethsemane, then south toward the valley of Hinnom, and up the winding road <clears throat> near the field of the potter, and straight south to Bethlehem. The star, the star seemed to move before them, as stars do when people travel. But when they came to Bethlehem, the blue-white gem appeared to be directly overhead. They asked the few pilgrims who still remained after the Roman census if a king had been born in the, in the area. The pilgrims said that they had heard no such news. The wise men tried several places. But the replies to their questions was vague and guarded. The Magi looked like rich Gentiles, which they were, and the people were disinclined to have any conversation with them, even, in, even for a few moments. It was Gaspar who said that the question should be re re rephrased. Instead of asking if a king was born, let us ask if a baby has been born. They tried this approach with no success until they stopped at the inn for refreshment. They were told that an unknown couple from the north had had a baby. No one knew anything about the family. 
the newborn could be found below in the stable. The three wise men looked at each other and wondered, a stable? A king in a stable where they hold animals? The livestock? Interesting. They went outside and again checked the prophecies of the ancient Jews, and at the portent of the star, the signs they were they were forced to conclude were correct. Belshazzar pointed out that there was much evidence that the one God, the one God, acts in ways mysterious to man, and that and that there must be a reason, a reason which escaped them, for having all the highest men born. The one who is the all highest, born of an unknown people, in a stall for animals. Gaspar agreed, but he spoke for all when he said that even though the reasons appeared to be unfathomable, they had inquired around the town, the only one baby had been born, and this one must be the one promised by God to the Jews. Melchior nodded, nodded solemnly, and the three men pitched a tent outside the inn and removed their traveling garments and changed into raiments befitting their station in life. This was a happy moment for the sophisticated intellectual Persians. They had a matter of they had, as a matter of course, been on intimate terms with kings who sought their counsel. This would be the first ma uh, majesty who would be an infant and at the same time the anointed one of God. From the saddle pouches they withdrew their gifts, adorned themselves with jewelry of their rank, and in solemn file walked down the path to the stable. At the entrance to the stony grotto they were met by St. Joseph himself. Gaspar introduced himself with his with his companions and told Joseph that they had come a long way to adore the new king. <clears throat> the foster father excused himself and went inside to consult with Mary. In a moment he was back, asking them to enter, apologizing for the humbleness of their quarters. The Magi did not hear him. They were looking beyond Joseph to Mary, who sat crouched on straw, with the infant in her arms. She glanced up briefly, then reverted to what she had been doing, touching downward as the baby's chin to make him smile. The three wise men threw themselves onto the grain-sanded floor, the fold of their garments spilling. The folds of their garments spilling into the, into the ground. They touched their foreheads to the floor and announced that they had come to pay homage to the new king. Mary glanced at them tenderly and held her baby so that they could see his face. Mary smiled and the little one smiled. The wise men remained very serious, very solemn. They studied the infant's face as though they were trying to etch in his face to their memories. Their knees remained on the floor throughout the visit, and when Gaspar felt it was time to go, he nodded to Malchior, who made a formal address about bringing gifts suitable to one who'd be referred to as the All-Highest. 
he reached behind and brought forth a small ornate casket. As it, as it was opened, Mary turned to look. Joseph stood in the archway, watching. The baby dozed. Melchior opened the casket and announced the gifts of the Magi as they were laid out upon white cloth. There was a small packet of gold, of gold dust, then a jar of frankincense, a fragrant essence of resin and oils from East Africa, and myrrh, a, ra a rare orange-colored gum used as perfume, ungent. Joseph was abashed. He was a young man from a very poor town, but he realized that these gifts were reserved as tribute to sovereigns. He tried to express his gratitude, but the words did died on the roof of his mouth. Mary smiled and thanked the visitors and hoped that God would guide them home in safety. The, ma the Magi backed to the door of the stable and left. They decided to spend the night in Bethlehem and to leave in the morning. Before their little camp, they set a fire and sat talking about the visit and the portent of the world, the, the, the portent of the world, rep represented by the newborn babe. Baldassar said that he could detect a radiance and aura of light around the Messiah. Melchior said that he too had noticed. Gaspar was looking at the night sky. What he asked happened to the big, big blue star. He asked what happened to that big blue star in the night. The Magi were warned not to return to King Herod with news of finding the Messiah. They were not told why in the morning the three philosophers agreed that, though, that although it would be wrong to ignore the invitation of Herod to return to Jerusalem, it would be worse to ignore the warning of an angel in a dream. So they packed their tents and utensils, mounted their camels, and instead of returning north to Jerusalem, headed east through Marzba, then north to Jericho, and across the Jordan into Persia. There was time, there was a time of quiet, a time of family communion, a time to think. There were two ceremonies to be undergone before they could go home to Nazareth. The presentation of the firstborn at the temple in Jerusalem and the purification of the mother. The first under the law could be take, could take place any time after 30, uh, 30 days of, of the male child. The second could not occur before the 41st day. Joseph said that it would not be wise to return to Nazareth and then come back for the visitation to the temple. It would be better to remain in Bethlehem and on the morning of the 41st day to take the child to Jerusalem, obey the law, and return to the cave and pack up, pepper, uh, pack up their things and leave for the long trip home the next day. Altogether, the carpenter would be away from his business for many weeks. This, for a young man who had recently concluded his apprenticeship, was a long time. He must return to his work in a craft as precious as his. It was important to remain in good favor with the townsmen, and a man could not do that if he was not available for work. Mary agreed. She was understanding and obedient wife, a girl whose hours were taken up with her baby. 
the baths, the feedings, the changes, sitting with him in the early sunlight on the side of the hills, rocking him to sleep, and, you know, singing to him in the late hours, all tended to confuse the young mother between her son's divinity and his human aspects. He was a baby, her baby, but he was also God. And the daily, the daily, ministry to his normal needs moved her mother moved a mother's heart to dwell upon him as an infant who needed maternal care and love but when the baby slept and she and joseph had time to discuss in whispers the wondrous things which had happened and which would come in the future they were beset by anxiety they did not know what was expected of them joseph seemed at times to have a deeper appreciation of the destiny of the youngster Mary, on the other hand, had an appreciation each of the wonders of the birth of the Messiah, but seemed to be unable to group them into one big mural. We'll stop here. Wow, we got a little further, huh? And it's interesting, everything here, although I'm still convinced that the wise men arrived two years later, uh, I don't think they arrived within the time that we um, that we think of the of the birth and everything. I think it, it had to have been two years later, uh, due to the fact that it was probably wise for Joseph not to go back when they had to come back and perform all the other rituals, and it made sense. Uh, because of the expenses, but also I tend to believe that he probably found work right away as a carpenter. And, you know, I would hope that he was a good carpenter. I'm sure he was because he was able to take care of his family. Anyway, um, let's end it here and we will begin our prayers. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, O ever immaculate Virgin, Mother of Mercy, Health the sick, refuge of sinners, comforter of the afflicted. You know my wants, my troubles, my sufferings. Cast upon me a look of mercy by appearing in the grotto of Lourdes. You were pleased to make it a privileged sanctuary where you dispense your favors and where many sufferers have obtained the cure of their, fa of their infirmities, both spiritual and corporal. I come, therefore, with the most unbounded confidence to implore your maternal intercession. Obtain, O loving mother, the granting of my request through gratitude for favors. I will endeavor to imitate your virtues that I may one day share your glory. Amen. Or Our Lady of Lourdes, pray for us. Our Lady of Lourdes, pray for us. Our Lady of Lourdes, pray for us. Saint Bernadette, pray for us. O most blessed mother, heart of love, heart of mercy, ever listening, caring, consoling, hear our prayers as your as your children, we implore your intercession with Jesus, your son. Receive with understanding and compassion the petitions we place before you today, especially, and here we make our private intentions. We, we are comforted in knowing your heart is ever open to those who ask for your prayer. We trust to your gentle care and intercession those whom we love and who are sick or lonely or hurting. Help all of us, Holy Mother, to bear our burdens in this life until we may share eternal life and peace with God forever and ever. Amen. 
Immaculate Heart of Mary, pray for us. Immaculate Heart of Mary, pray for us. Immaculate Heart of Mary, pray for us. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners. Now at the hour of our death, amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now at the hour of our death. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, now and forever. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. <laughs>